Hi, welcome back to Spider's Web. This time we're going to talk about something very dear to my heart, and that's cocktail culture. I love cocktails. I always have, since I was a child. Well, my parents had a full bar in their home. They used to throw glamorous cocktail parties. I remember at one point we even had a liquor delivery man that came and brought those great big tins of Charles chips and pretzels for snacks. People would come in their cool outfits. We were allowed to sit on the steps and watch them arrive. And then we'd get shooed away, put back up to our bedrooms. But I always really wondered what all went on down there. I always loved cocktails, and it's interesting to look back and see where they came from and how long they've been around. The first use in the U.S. of the word cocktail was in 1803 in the Farmer's Almanac. Huh, isn't that strange? They pronounced that cocktails were excellent for the head. I think they were right. Well, then in the 1860s, the first bartender's guide was published. It was the Bon Vivant's Companion by Professor Jerry Thomas, who was a bartender in a famous hotel in San Francisco. And in those days, the drinks that were called cocktails were like punches and sours and shrubs. So it it definitely moved on from there. So did cocktailing. In 1890, the invention of the highball came along, and that meant that it was liquor mixed with a soda, like another ingredient. It was a two-part cocktail. But that was, you know, a change from what had been earlier. But then in 1917, the first cocktail party happened. It was thrown by Mrs. Julius Walsh in St. Louis, Missouri. There were 50 guests at noon on a Sunday, and it ended at 1 p.m. when lunch was served. Woo-hoo! Well, the house still stands, but the Catholic Church bought it, and the Archbishop moved in, and I guess never moved out. Well, it wasn't until the 1920s that cocktails really, really came forward as a popular thing. 
because of prohibition. Uh, The popularity of cocktails absolutely soared because of prohibition. You know, here, here they were trying to take something away from people, so of course they just wanted more of it. It was all the rage. Uh, shakers and paraphernalia sales absolutely were tremendous during the 1920s in America, a place where you weren't supposed to be drinking at all. The reason that cocktails became so popular is because the liquor was so god-awful to cover it up, they started adding all these ingredients like, you know, different flavors and juices and things that would cover it up, putting, uh, you know, bitters into things. Uh, drinks like the Manhattan, you know, that had sweet vermouth and cherry juice in it and bitters, you know, all these sort of flavors. And the martini was actually invented supposedly in 1911 uh, by a bartender named Martini at the Knickerbocker Hotel in New York. But the Martini really gained its popularity during the Prohibition years. This period of time was was really pretty amazing. Um, All the incredibly smart people, the smart set like members of the Algonquin Round Table, were all drinking cocktails on a regular basis, even though it was illegal. In some secluded rendezvous That overlooks the Someone sharing a delightful chat of this and that, and cocktails for two. Cocktails for two. As we enjoy a cigarette to some exquisite chanchonette. So anybody who was anybody was drinking cocktails. And the smart set were even creating famous quotations about cocktails. Null Coward said, A perfect martini should be made by filling a glass with gin and then waving it in the general direction of Italy, Italy being the major producer of vermouth at the time. Then the famous wit from the Algonquin Roundtable, Robert Benchley, uh, two of his most favorite quotes about cocktails are, A real hangover is nothing to try out family remedies on. The only cure for a real hangover is death. And then, of course, there's, why don't I get out of these wet things and into a dry martini? But my favorite bit of wit about cocktails is Dorothy Parker's famous poem that is so touching. 
I love to drink martinis. Two at the very most. Three, I'm under the table. Four, I'm under the host. speakeasies. They were illegal bars and they were everywhere. They were in every nook and cranny you could imagine in major cities all over the U.S. as well as being in, you know, people's back rooms in little towns. Grandma's kitchen turned into a speakeasy. My father even told me stories that when he was a child they used to work with an uncle who put booze in a milk truck. They were painted milk bottles that had whiskey in them, and they would have to go on runs with this stuff. So it was pretty crazy. But the people that owned these speakeasies in New York, a lot of them were celebrities. A very famous one was owned by a woman named Texas Guinan. She was quite a wild character. She had been a silent film actress. She had blonde hair and was in movies toting two pistols and wearing a cowboy outfit. Pretty out there. But she had a famous club. She declared herself queen of the nightclubs. And her club was called the 300 Club. Texas was known for greeting her patrons with the expression, Howdy, suckers! She also would douse her hands in perfume. And anyone that came in to greet her, she would rub her hands all over them. So later on, it would appear that she had been intimate with them or something. Hmm, pretty weird stuff. One of the really odd club owners was the famous singer Helen Morgan. Helen Morgan was a huge star in the 1920s, and she was absolutely lighting up Broadway and making radio recordings, and she was amazing. She introduced many of the uh, famous songs of the day that were written by the Gershwins and Cole Porter. And of course, she was the leading lady in Showboat on Broadway. Matter of fact, the week it opened, Helen Morgan had just opened a speakeasy that got busted by the police. So the Broadway star missed a few performances because she was sitting in jail arrested for running a speakeasy. So they were they were crazy times and crazy people. 
bars in the world is still standing today, and that would be Harry's New York Bar in Paris. I've actually been there, and I drank one of their famous cocktails. Well, the history of Harry's New York Bar in Paris is that in 1911, there was a famous American jockey named Todd Sloan. He had the bar dismantled in New York City and shipped to Paris, where it was reconstructed. It was called the New York Bar. Well, he hired this wild Scotsman named Harry McKellen to run it and tend bar there. Well, it was was very popular uh, right after World War I, and Sloan had a very wild and lavish lifestyle that forced him to sell the bar to Harry McKellen. And he added his own name to the title and called it Harry's New York Bar in 1923. It's family-owned till this day by the same family. Tons of famous people have been there. Oh, Ernest Hemingway wrote there. It's also reputed that George Gershwin wrote American in Paris there when they had a piano. I don't know if they still have a piano there. But two of the most famous cocktails in the world were created at Harry's, that being the Bloody Mary and the sidecar. That's what I had, a sidecar. The day I was leaving Paris, I went there for cocktail hour. It was magical. One early morning, as I was walking, I met a woman started talking went in a tavern to get a few nips and all I had was a mint julep one mint julep was the cause of it all I don't remember just how it started but all I know is we should have parted I stole a kiss and then another I didn't mean to Take it for the One man to live Was the cause of it all So cocktail culture continued uh, After it was legal in 1933 in the U.S. Bars could be out in the open Cocktails were glorified in films all through the 1930s, movies like the Thin Man series, where they're drinking cocktails all the time, movies like Casablanca in the 40s. It's just an amazing time. It's very glamorous, and everyone was drinking right through the mid-1960s. But then 
In the late 60s, the cocktail culture waned a bit because of the popularity of beer and wine right through the 70s. But in the 1980s, when everybody seemed to have a lot of money and wanted to be glamorous, cocktail culture was reborn right from then to this day. And in the 1990s, the Fairmont Hotel actually named a cocktail after me. No, it was not because I drank so many cocktails there. It's because I was a regular performer there at the time. It was called a spider teeny, and I think it it had some awful sweet ingredients that I would never think of drinking. You know, I'm quite a purist. Pure, clear vodka. But I, I do make some special cocktails. And if you've been listening to this podcast called Spider's Web over the past few months, you know, I talk about food and drink a lot, but now every episode I like to include a recipe of some kind. So definitely go to spiderjazz.com and check out the accompanying recipes. There will be some cocktail recipes for this episode. And also, if you would like to become a closer pal of mine, there's all sorts of ways we can get together. You can check out my live performances, which are all over the country, sometimes all over the world. You can also not just check out my recipes, but if you would like to take a voice lesson with me, you can. I teach a group lesson at the Bloom School of Jazz in Chicago, but I also teach private lessons, and I can even give you a voice class on Skype. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, now I would like to say good evening to you and cheers. Thank you for sharing this little cocktail hour with me on Spider's Web. In the afternoon. We'll be so glad we're both Oh, baby.